If you've learned much about end-of-the-world Bible prophecy, you've probably heard about the Great Tribulation, a seven-year length of time that brings about cataclysmic and apocalyptic events on the earth. Revelation is the book of the Bible that tells us the most about what happens during this time. But did you know that Revelation never mentions a seven-year period? Of all the sevens that you find in that book, it never talks about seven years. It talks about periods of three and a half years, but it never says anything about a seven-year period. So, where does that seven-year idea come from? You'll find out today on the Cross References Podcast. Welcome to the Cross References Podcast, where you learn how every small piece of the Bible tells one big story, and most importantly, how they all connect to the cross and Christ. Whether you're a new Christian or a veteran Bible reader, our goal is that God's Word will make more sense to you after every episode. This is Luke Taylor, and I'm not a mathematician, so Daniel 9 is a really difficult chapter of the Bible for me to understand. But I am a student of Bible prophecy, so it's really, really important that I do understand that chapter. It's one of the two chapters on prophecy that I would say are the single most important chapters on prophecy in the entire Bible, with the other one being Revelation 12, which I'll probably have to cover also at some point down the road. So if you don't correctly understand Daniel 9 and Revelation 12, everything else that you try to study in prophecy is going to go askew. Like if you have any confusion about the timeline of Bible prophecy, or if you feel like it's hard to get it all lined up, You really want to make sure you're ready today because we're going to make it all make sense in this episode. And yes, I did mention math. You might want to have a pencil and paper along with your Bible because this chapter, it actually, it has some algebra involved. You know, that's, that's the simplest way to put it. If you, if you ever took a high school algebra class and asked, where am I ever going to use this in life? Well, I actually have an answer for you today. You use it in studying Daniel nine. And now speaking of numbers, um, this is a milestone episode for this podcast. We're on episode number 50. We're halfway to 100. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call this a milestone for me. And I also just want to say this, um, because this is a milestone episode, I-, I wanted to do an extra special subject matter for this episode. And that's why we're covering Daniel 9 and the 70 weeks prophecy. It- it's one of my favorite things in the whole Bible to teach on, actually. Um, this is perhaps the most specific prophecy in the entire Bible. It is mind-blowingly specific. Part of it's already come to pass. Daniel actually predicts something that would happen hundreds of years later, and he predicted it to the day, and I'll show you that. And, and just like a math problem where you can check your work, we'll be able to check our work, and we're going to verify that we are understanding this prophecy correctly, and therefore, we can trust what this prophecy says about the future. So... If I haven't chased you off yet with all that math talk, let's get started. Get your Bible and a sheet of paper, and let's see what God has to say in Daniel 9. Now, because this is going to be such a math-heavy episode, I'm going to do something a little special this time um, over on my YouTube channel, and that's just called Cross References. Uh, you can find it if you just if you search up Cross References Podcast on YouTube, you'll find it. And I'm going to have a special video version of today's lesson available on that platform. And the reason I want to do that is because that's going to provide me the opportunity to throw like graphs 
and equ equations up on the screen. And that should hopefully um, prevent you from getting lost as I try to explain all this. So I just want you to know that's an option if you get confused later, if you need a visual aid to go along with this episode, if, you, if, it's, if it's a little too hard to follow on audio formats, you know, for this one, you can go to YouTube and you can just continue from wherever you were. Um, just, you know, it's same timestamps and everything. And, and, and I'm going to do that for you. Listen, I wouldn't go to all the extra work into making a video version of this episode. I wouldn't do that if this material wasn't just absolutely worth knowing. And, and it really is. That's why this is, this is truly a special study today. I really want you to understand this. So I'm going to even go the extra mile on trying to communicate all this information to you. So I'm putting that out there. Go to YouTube if you want the video format, if you find it too hard to follow the, the equations and all that as we get going along. Um, and, and I say that it is extra work um, to make a video. When I started this podcast, I intended every episode to be a video podcast. And I, I did the first one that way. And it was like, it was way too much. It was way too much work. I'm like, I cannot sustain this level of, acti of activity. Um, you know, if I had done that, I would only be on episode like 20 by now instead of episode 50. So um, it, vid the video is a lot of work, but I, d I did it for this time because it, it's worth it. It's important. So anyway, let's get back to what we're talking about today. Daniel 9. Now this chapter, just to give you a little bit of a background, it takes place during that period of time that I keep talking about on this podcast. It's called the Babylonian captivity. Daniel was one of the very first Jews taken in the captivity. He was part of the royal family in Jerusalem. And then the Babylonians came along and they kidnapped him and they castrated him and they re-educated him in one of their demonic colleges and they forced him to serve the king. And yet one of the great things about Daniel is that he just always remained loyal and true to God. And, and thus, God gave Daniel some of the most amazing prophecies that you find in the whole Bible. And so now, as we come to Daniel 9, Daniel is an old man. He's been in Babylon basically for his entire life. And at this point, he's doing what he regularly did. He's praying. He, he prayed a lot. Prayer was very important to Daniel. And so the 70 weeks prophecy that we're going to discuss, it comes at the end of the chapter, but I, I want to look at the opening lines of this chapter just to kind of set the stage for what's going on in Daniel's life. So Daniel 9, verses 1 and 2. They say, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So let me stop there. So this is the same year. Actually, Daniel 9 is like the same year as Daniel 6. That's the lion's den story. Daniel is an old man at this time. And he's reading Bible prophecy in the book of Jeremiah, okay, who had probably, surely had died by now. Um, as we said on a recent episode of this show, Daniel, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they all lived at a, they were contemporaries of each other. They lived at this roughly the same time. And, and Daniel had one of Jeremiah's prophecies, he had one down on paper. So the cross-reference to this uh, would be Jeremiah 29, in verse 10. Jeremiah, in that book, in that chapter, he provides the number of years that Israel is going to be kept in the Babylonian captivity. Okay, so it says in Jeremiah 29, 10, For thus says the Lord, 
After 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. So we discussed these verses on, actually on another recent episode, by the way. These verses here are talking about the servitude of Israel in Babylon, or what we call the Babylonian captivity. And it says here that it would last 70 years. Daniel was one of the first Jews taken, and he went back when he was a teenager. So for him, that was nearly 70 years ago. And so Daniel's reading this prophecy, and he's realizing this prophecy means that the Babylonian captivity is just about over. He's lived through all of it. It's supposed to last 70 years, and Daniel's looking at the calendar. He's like, whoa, it's just about been 70 years. We're about to get to go home. So here's a key point today before I go on. Daniel looked into Bible prophecy and saw where he was on God's calendar. And that's a key point, because that's what we're going to do today, too. But let me say it again. Daniel looked into Bible prophecy and saw where he was on God's calendar. I want you to remember that. So the year um, that he's that all this is going on, it's probably around 538 BC. So, Dan, or so Israel has been in captivity. At this point, I think it was like about 67 years Um if it, when I throw the graphs up on screen, I think it'll be a little more precise than I'm. I'm kind of going off of memory a little bit, but he's been in captivity about 67 years at this point, so it's almost over. And then Daniel looked into the prophecy, and 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 so as he did this, he could see where he was in Bible prophecy. He could tell how far that they had come, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at where we are in Bible prophecy by looking at God's calendar and see how far we've come. Daniel reads these verses and he sees himself in there. He, you know, he says, God is looking for someone who will call upon him now, as these verses said in Jeremiah. That's what verse 12 said. It's that whenever you get to the end of the 70 years, start praying to go home. So Daniel decides, I want to be that man to fulfill the prophecy. And he starts, he starts into praying. He, he prays for 17 verses. And I love this prayer. I won't go through it all of it today. Um, it would take too long, but I mean, it's worth reading sometime. Just a, this prayer of repentance that he prays on behalf of his people and that they would get to go home soon. And so uh, I'm not going to read it today. We're going to skip to the end of the prayer, and that's somewhere around verse 20. Okay, we'll pick it up. We'll pick it up there. And by the way, I'm in New King James Version today. And I mentioned that because we usually do ESV on this podcast. But in the past, whenever I've taught Daniel 9, I've always done New King James. So I'm just going to use that version today. So let's talk about the 70 weeks prophecy that comes at the end of Daniel chapter 9, okay? I gave you all the background just now. Daniel looked at the calendar, God's calendar, to see where he was in prophecy so that he knew what was coming next. So that's what he did, and then he prays, and then it says an angel shows up. Let me start here at verse 20. Daniel 9, 20. Now, while I was uh, speaking, praying, and confessing my sin— and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. So Daniel says he was just praying there, and then Gabriel shows up. And this is the same angel, the same dude, who appeared to Mary in the New Testament. 
Gabriel is going to give Daniel a message right here. That's what Gabriel always does. Every time he shows up, he's giving a message. And so that's what he does here. He gives Daniel a message. Verse 22. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. So then verse 24 begins the prophecy of what's called the 70 weeks of Daniel. And now this is a unique verse, okay? You could almost just, you could transcribe it as a series of bullet points of things that are going to happen. Okay, so that's what verse 24 is. It's a list of, I think, six things that are going to happen. So let me read what it says. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So the angel is pronouncing that on God's calendar, he has decreed to use 70 weeks to accomplish his plan with the Jewish people and with Jerusalem. So let's walk through this slow. Let's make sure we understand it all. But just remember that this is a prophecy about Israel. Okay, that's important to know. It's a prophecy about Daniel's people. That would be the Israelites or what we might call today the Jews. It's a a message about the Jewish people and about their holy city. That would be Jerusalem. So that's the who, all right? If If we do like a who, what, where breakdown of this prophecy, the who is going to refer to the Israelites or the Jews. It's a prophecy about the Jews and their city. I just want to make that clear because this is, you know, as we read it, this is not a prophecy about us, uh, uh, you know, unless you're a Jewish person <laughs> who's listening. But that's not a prophecy directed toward the church. It's not, you know, it's not what this is about. And that's important to note. This is a prophecy specifically about the Jews and their city. Now let's talk about the when. This prophecy says it's going to cover 70 weeks. But we got to talk about this word weeks because when you hear 70 weeks, you know, that sounds like a little more than a year, you know, as far as a time period. But that's not what weeks refers to right here. The word week in here, it refers to something in Hebrews that's known as a week of years. That's a period of seven years. Okay. 70 sevens. So whenever it says 70 weeks, it's talking about 70 periods of seven years. Okay, if we were do, to do that math, that would be 70 times seven, aka a 490 year period. All right. In algebra, we would say 70x, where x is a period of seven years. Okay. So God has a 70x plan for Israel and Jerusalem. Okay. Something that he wants to do with the city over a period of 490 years. So another key point today. God has a 490-year plan for Israel and Jerusalem. Now, let me get—I'm going to get a little bit ahead of myself for a second. Because whenever you hear that God has a 490-year period or plan, you might be wondering, well, okay, when did it start and when did it end? You know, where can I put this 490-year period on a timeline? So I just want to go ahead. I want to tell you a couple things about this before we go on. Because we're going to do all that today, but I want to just, I want to give you some caveats. One, 
This 490-year period is not consecutive, by which I mean it's broken up, okay? It did start a long time ago, but then God had to hit pause on this plan. So it's not quite finished yet, okay? We're going to talk about how far into it we got when we get into some specifics later. But I just want to I want to tell you that up front. Another caveat I want to just go ahead and put out there now is one thing we got to keep in mind is that the Jews, they measure time just slightly differently than, than we do, okay? These ancient Jews. And particularly whenever it comes to years. Um, the ancient Jews, they operated on a different calendar than we do. The Jewish calendar only has 360 days on it. It's still 12 months long, but all of their months were 30 days each, okay? So to really understand this prophecy, we have to understand th that, that the, the years, the way that Daniel and his audience would have understood them, they are 360-day years. And by the way, the Jewish people in the Bible, I mean, they calculate years that way, you know, all the way through to Revelation. If you want to cross-reference for that, look at Revelation 11. That's a chapter that gives the same period of time broken down into years and then broken down into months and broken down into days. And you can see right there, they operate on a 360-day year. And, and lots of ancient peoples did. Um, th that's because they would go off of a lunar calendar, which was based on the moon. And meanwhile, the Gentile world, they operate off of a solar calendar, which is based on the sun. So there's a little bit of a slight variation right there. And I got to bring that up because if we're going to, you know, we're, this is a very specific prophecy. I want to show you later how miraculously precise this 490-year period was. So those are just a couple caveats to, to remember as we get into this. So we talked about the who and the when of the 70 weeks prophecy. Okay, the prophecy is about God's plan for Israel and Jerusalem. And it's going to be accomplished over a 490-year period of time. Now let's talk about the what, okay? What did it say would happen during this 490-year plan? Well, I think it gave us six things. Um, it said to finish the transgression. Now that That's referring to bringing the Jews back together, to regather them after the Babylonian captivity. And, and actually what we're going to see is that, that when they get out of captivity, that is the thing that starts the 490-year period. That's what it means there where it says to finish the transgression. It's talking about bringing the Jews back home, back to Jerusalem. Two, to make an end to sins. Three, make reconciliation for iniquity. Four, bring in everlasting righteousness. So let me say right there, numbers two, three, and four right there. Those are all things that Jesus did. Whenever Jesus died on the cross, we could say that he accomplished those three things. And then there's two more. The fifth one was, to seal up vision and prophecy, and the sixth was to anoint the most holy. And those actually, they have to do with revelation. Um, that's like the millennial kingdom type of stuff. Uh, anointing the most holy, that's that's probably referring to Jesus being crowned king, um, or, or it could be talking about the new temple that he's bringing down. And, and so whenever that's done, vision and prophecy are sealed up. Those are the last things to be accomplished during the 490-year plan. So again, these are not consecutive years in the 490-year period. There's this division. It's broken up. Some of these things have already happened. Some of them are yet to come. So let's talk about the 490-year period, when it started, and then where it stopped. 
Verse 25. We need to read verse 25 to get into this more. So again, from Gabriel, he says in Daniel 9, 25, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to rebuild and build, to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah, the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. So right here it states that the beginning of the 490-year period, that's going to be when the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem. And this takes place after Daniel. It takes place in um, like Ezra and Nehemiah. The king's going to tell the Jews, you can go home. And then Nehemiah is a book about going back and rebuilding. And you know what? We can actually trace this. We can trace this back to a specific day in history. It's March 14th, uh, 445 B.C. That was actually the date of the decree that the Jews could go back and rebuild Jerusalem. Okay, and and I can I think I have a verse here from Ezra about that. Um, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Okay, so, and then I think Nehemiah 2 also has some stuff about this. But when the king issues this proclamation, this kicks off the 490-year plan of God. Okay? So, back to Daniel 9.25. It says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It, it, so it says that from the time that the Jews can return home, until Messiah the Prince. So that means from Nehemiah's time until the time of Jesus. Okay, that's another way to put that. From Nehemiah to Jesus, there will be seven and 62 weeks. If we were to describe that in algebra terms, 7x and 62x. Okay, remember that x is a period of seven years. Okay, if you know any algebra at all, <laughs> if you know anything about algebra, you can do this next part. 7x plus 62x is 69x. Okay, so 69 periods of seven years. So I don't know if you realize that Daniel gave this specific of a prophecy. He actually says, in the book of Daniel, he actually said how long it would be until Jesus came. He says, starting from the time of the command to go back to Jerusalem, starting from there, and that was in 445 BC, I think, back in Daniel, God actually said how long it would be until the Messiah came. He said it would be seven years, 69 times. So I know it, I know it kind of communicated that in a confusing manner. This is one reason this chapter is so hard for people. It said seven and 62. Why did it split 7 off from the 62? Well, I have a theory on that. I think it's because the first 49-year period, uh, which would be the first seven sevens, the first 49-year period of rebuilding the temple, um, when they got back to Jerusalem, that that it took that long to rebuild the temple. Your, your, your cross-reference for that is John 2.20, if you want to chase that down. Now, it's kind of a secondary issue, because regardless of why that time period is broken up. I mean, we it, we do have the timeline. 
if X is a period of seven years, you can just plug that right in on the on the timeline, on the calendar. 69X is therefore a time period of 483 years. From the time of Nehemiah until Messiah the Prince, it's going to be 483 years. And, okay, according to that prophecy. So let's slap that on a real-world timeline. Let's see where it takes us. That starts at 445 BC, and then we add 483 years. That brings us to the year 40 AD. Obviously, by the way, BC and AD, those are the two grand delineations of time that they refer to the to when Jesus was on this earth. BC is before Christ, AD is after Christ. So Jesus was born around the time of year zero. That's why it's called year zero. So that's why when you start at 445 BC and then you go forward for 483 years, you end up at 40 AD. And if you're doing the math, um, you got to remember there's actually no year zero, by the way. So it might look a little off, uh, but you got to remember that whenever you do the math. There's no year zero. If you account for that, and there's some other things you can account for that we'll get to later, but but then you end up at 40 AD. So let's get back to that. That overshoots Jesus by just a little bit, right? I mean, it gets pretty close. That's amazing on its own how close it gets, but it did overshoot the mark just a little bit. So we got to account for that. And how do we do that? Well, that actually here's why we can why we we overshot it because that was just doing addition based on. Gregorian calendars are how we measure time in solar years, okay? We got to remember that we actually need to account for this in the Jewish or the biblical measurement of years, okay? Because they use the 360-day years, not 365-day years, which sounds like a just a minor difference because it's not a huge difference. But But whenever you start measuring long periods of time, Suddenly, that can lead to some big discrepancies. So you gotta you gotta account for those you know slightly shorter years. So let's go back to do this equation again, and let's plug the Jewish years of 360 days each into the equation. And what do we come up with whenever we do that? Well, let's start back at 445 BC. Let's add in 483 Jewish years. Those are years measured. By 360 days each, okay? Whenever you do that, what, what you're doing is you're taking out five days per solar year, and you got to remove all those leap years, and the, that's something that just the solar calendars use, so you remove all that, and there's some little tweaks you got to do to come to the right numbers. What do you arrive at then? Well, whenever you do that, it brings you to 32 AD. It shaves eight years off that number. And it brings us to 32 AD. Now, 32 AD, that is right in the time of the ministry of Jesus. I would say, I believe it's right at the end of Jesus' life. So from the time of the command to rebuild Jerusalem, which was in 445 BC, 69 weeks of years later, or 483 Jewish years later, that actually brings us to 32 AD, the actual time of Jesus. This is such an amazing prophecy. And what does this prophecy say happens at the time of Jesus? Daniel 9.26, And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Now let's just focus on those two lines before we go on. After the 62-week period, 
Messiah shall be cut off. Now, what is that obviously referring to? Uh, I think it's clear. It's talking about when Jesus died for our sins. Because cut off, that actually means to be given the death penalty. It's the Hebrew word, kareth. It's the word that they would use, you know, if someone committed a capital offense, it'd say they, they must be cut off. It means put them to death. So this prophecy actually states that after the 483-year period, Messiah will be cut off. He'll be put to death. The killing of Jesus by the death penalty, it was prophesied right here in Daniel 9. And notice that it even includes this little part. It says, but not for himself. He was killed, but he wasn't killed for anything that he had done because he was killed for you and me. He died for the sins of the world. I mean, this is just an amazing, amazing prophecy right here. In fact, if we try to trace this prophecy out to the day, it gets even more astounding. Because you can trace the proclamation, the day, that the Jews could return home, and that was March 14th, 445 BC. Okay? Then you add in 173,880 days. That's 69 weeks of Jewish years. Okay? I assume you're tracking with me now on, on what we're talking about when I say, like, weeks of years, and weeks specifically of Jewish years. It comes out to 173,880 days. When you count that many days from March 14th, 445 BC, you arrive at April 6th, 32 AD. That would be the day that uh, if Jesus died that year, okay, if Jesus died that year, that day would be Palm Sunday of 32 AD. If Jesus died that year, then on the day that this prophecy comes to its 483-year conclusion, it would have been the day that Jesus is entering Jerusalem on a donkey, the last week of his life. In fact, let me just read a selection of verses from what Jesus said whenever he entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. It's in Luke 19. It said, Jesus rode up the road to Jerusalem on a donkey. Many of the people came out. They laid these palm branches on the ground. They said, Hosanna in the highest. But as Jesus was nearing the gates of the city, just look at what he said. Luke 19, 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day. Just note there that Jesus says, on this day. Had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. So Jesus starts crying over the city. He's saying, you didn't know the hour of your visitation had you known this day. Jesus expected that the people would recognize the day and the hour that the Messiah came. But how could he have expected them to know the day? Well, I think it's because Daniel 9 actually gives you the equation. Daniel 9 can be used to tell you the exact day that the Messiah would be revealed. And it brings you to a Sunday in 32 AD. If this was the year Jesus died, this happens to be Palm Sunday. So if you ask me, 
It all just fits together perfectly. And by the way, if you've never heard this before, um, what I'm telling you about on this program, it's nothing new. This has been studied for years. There's a British mathematician uh, named Robert Anderson. I think he has the most substantiated collection of research on this. He actually went through and he calculated the 173,880 days. Like he tabulated all that. He accounted for the, the leap years and the changes made to the calendars in history. He's the one who figured all this up, and he came to Palm Sunday in 32 AD. He came there to the day. So Robert Anderson, and he's long dead now, but I mean, he's a great source for all this information. Um, and now another story of a, uh, a man named Leopold Cohn, and he was a Jewish rabbi a long time ago. He studied Daniel chapter 9. Uh, I think he lived in Europe, um, like in England, I think I want to say. But anyway, he studied Daniel 9. He he did the math on this. He figured all this up. And he says, wait a minute. Where's the Messiah? You know, <laughs> he says the Messiah should have came like uh, about 2,000 years ago. Um, and, and he looked this up. He, like he went and studied this in history. He was so ignorant about Jesus because he was a Jewish like he was a Jewish rabbi he didn't believe Jesus was the messiah he didn't even know when it was that Jesus had lived and died so he's like what well, shouldn't the messiah have come back you know about 2000 year, years ago so he went and asked an older rabbi and the older rabbi told him if you keep looking into this you're going to lose your job like you're going to be kicked out you're not going to be a rabbi anymore don't don't be poking around in this area so this rabbi went and looked it up and finds out this was the time period that Jesus was alive, that the, the time period that Daniel 9 was supposed to be fulfilled. It was back when Jesus, he actually, the Leopold Cohn, he met a Christian. The Christian gave him a Bible and told him, read it. It's in the New Testament. So Leopold started reading the Bible at 11 p.m. He was awake all night long just reading the Bible. He finished, <laughs> I think he finished the New Testament the next afternoon and he concluded that Jesus must be the Messiah. And so from then on, Leopold Cohn, he set up a ministry to reach Jewish people. And, um, later it, one of his employees named the ministry Jews for Jesus. And you you might've heard of Jews for Jesus before. Um, you can call them up. They can come visit your church to this day. This was about 130 years ago. And because because of all that, that's where this ministry comes from. Because 130 years ago, a Jewish man was reading Daniel 9, and it led him, it led to the creation of that whole ministry of reaching the Jewish people. So, this is a fascinating prophecy. Um, this is so important to understanding the, the subject matter of Bible prophecy. And we're not done yet, okay? Um, I want to say this. How do we know we're understanding this prophecy properly? Because people have different ideas about prophecy. They have, they're like, you know, they get into arguments and debates. And I know we're using a lot of math and stuff. And like people are, could be a little skeptical. Are you sure you're really understanding this correctly? Well, as I said in the intro, we can check our math today. We can actually check our math to see if we're understanding it correctly. If we're not understanding that this Daniel 9 prophecy correctly... I would just say this, then it is sure an amazing coincidence that this formula leads to the Sunday before a Passover in 32 AD, which is right whenever we know that Jesus was involved in ministry. 
that is quite a coincidence. <laughs> you know, if we just plugged in some numbers and just happened to arrive at that day, of all the days that we could have come to, it's quite a coincidence that when you do the equation, you come to 173,880 days, and you plug that into a calendar to the timeline, those numbers don't just happen to be five years off, or 50 years off, or 500 years off. They happen to come out just to a time that was during the ministry of Jesus. <laughs> That'd be quite a coincidence. Uh, the Jews did not even have a, a word for coincidence. And, and I'm not going to use that word to describe this either. I, I say this is God. Daniel 9 is just an incredible piece of prophecy. As I said, probably the most specific prophecy in the entire Bible. And hey, we're not even done with it yet. So let's finish it up. Verse 26. Let me restart verse 26. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Let's talk about some of these phrases real quick. The prince who is to come. Well, that refers to the Antichrist. He's the evil world leader who is going to someday take the reins of planet Earth. And now it doesn't actually say something here about what the Antichrist will do. It's talking about the people of the Antichrist. It says the people of the prince who is to come. So what it's talking about right here is that his people, okay, his race or, or ethnicity of people shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. That's referring to something that happened in the year 70 AD. The, the city of Jerusalem and the temple, they were destroyed in 70 AD. So um, anyway, this guy, that gives us a little bit of a clue about the Antichrist. It says, the same race of people who destroyed the temple, those are the same race that the Antichrist will come from. So we just have to ask ourselves, what race of people destroyed the temple? Well, now that gets a little complicated. <laughs> the, the people who destroyed the temple, they were Romans. They were led by General Titus. However, there's some archaeological evidence that General Titus hired some of the locals, what we might say today are Middle Eastern people or Arab people today, that he hired some of them to destroy it. And, and so in modern terms, we'd say the Muslim people. So it really doesn't narrow it down all that much. <laughs> that tells us the Antichrist, he's either going to be someone who's Middle Eastern, okay, likely a Muslim, or or a European, someone of Roman descent. Well, that doesn't really narrow down a whole lot <laughs> who the Antichrist will be, unfortunately. There's a lot of people in the world who fall into one of those categories. So personally, I lean more toward a European Antichrist but I try not to be narrow-minded about it. It's possible it could be an Islamic or Middle Eastern Antichrist. It's a very possible thing. So a little clue there about the Antichrist. It doesn't help us a whole lot. Um, let's look at verse 27 now. The final verse of the chapter. And it, it continues to talk about what the Antichrist will do. But just let me remind you of something. The prophecy that we started with, this was about a 490-year length of time. Remember the second key point today. God has a 490-year plan for Israel and Jerusalem. But so far, we've only talked about 483 years. So that means there's still a seven-year period of time left. And that last seven-year period 
has not happened yet. When Jesus was killed on the cross, right there that hit pause on God's 490-year plan for Israel. So God still has seven more years left to go to accomplish his plan. But those seven years, they have not happened quite yet. And as you may have guessed, those seven years are the seven-year tribulation that's talked about in Revelation. So what is going to happen during that seven-year period of time? Well, Daniel 9.27 tells us about that last seven-year period. It says, Then he, the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So it, the last thing is that talking about a one-week covenant there, that's the 70th week, that's the tribulation period, and the first thing that happens in this tribulation period is that the Antichrist confirms a seven-year covenant. That kicks off the 70th week of Daniel. The 70th week in the prophecy of 70 weeks. The last seven years of planet Earth. It starts when the Antichrist confirms a covenant with many. So a couple notes on this. Okay, (laughs) one, I might refer you back to a couple previous episodes if you want to learn more about this. Uh, Episode four, the Bible Prophecy Starter Pack. Episode 26, the first horseman of the apocalypse. These go into that covenant in some more detail. So if you want to hear more about that, you could go to those episodes. Two, I just want to correct a common misconception. This this verse, it does not say that the Antichrist signs a peace treaty with Israel. I'm not saying it can't be that. I'm just saying the verse doesn't say that. It very well could be a peace treaty, but it doesn't say it's a peace treaty. And it doesn't say it has anything at all to do with Israel. It says the Antichrist confirms a covenant with many. So it seems to be some kind of treaty, but it's a treaty among many nations. Okay, notice it doesn't say create a covenant. I don't think the Antichrist is said to create some new deal or treaty. Rather, it sounds like he is enforcing a treaty that's already on the table. Perhaps it's a peace treaty between Israel and some other nations. That's entirely possible, but it it would be a peace treaty that's already signed and, and maybe is not being followed. Something like the Camp David Accords, which was Israel and Egypt, or the Oslo Accords, that was Israel and Palestine, or the Treaty of Peace, which was Israel and Jordan. Maybe it's one of those deals that Donald Trump got done in his last few months in office. Maybe the Antichrist comes in and enforces all of them. Maybe the Antichrist covenant has absolutely nothing to do with any of this. Maybe he just creates peace between Russia and Ukraine or something to do with the United Kingdom. We just don't know. And so I don't want us to assume too much. So we just got to keep all that in mind. The Antichrist might be the man who pops in and enforces peace agreements between those Palestinians and Israelis, and he finds a deal that makes everyone happy. And that extends a hand of protection to the Israelis, and he'll appear to be their friend. That could all totally happen. I could see that happening. I'm just saying we don't want to overassume what the Bible says. Okay, but let's read or reread what the Antichrist is said to do after he does this seven year deal. Okay, it says, 
but in the middle of the week, meaning in the middle of this last seven-year period, okay? So in the middle of the tribulation, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate. The last half of the week is the last three and a half years of the tribulation. That's when the Antichrist reveals his true colors, and he aggressively tries to kill the Jews. He will betray them, he'll do the abomination of desolation, and they're going to run for their lives. The abomination of desolation, that's when the Antichrist enters the Jewish temple, and he proclaims himself to be God, and he demands to be worshipped. At that point, then it says the Jews are going to realize what a bad guy he actually is, and they are going to head for the hills. And then the Antichrist, he will begin a campaign of trying to wipe the Jews out. And, and this is a major thing of, um, this is a major part of what he'll be up to in the last three and a half years of the tribulation. Basically, he's going to try to enact another Holocaust, like Hitler did. He's going to try to hunt down and wipe out all the Jews. But during this second Holocaust, the Jews are going to come to a realization, just like Leopold Cohn did all those years ago. They're going to realize that Jesus was actually the true Messiah this whole time. And they'll get saved. And then God's 490-year plan will come to a completion. And Jesus will return to this world. Romans eleven twenty five and 26 says, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. So God actually has a plan to get Israel collectively to be saved. And it's a 490-year plan for Israel. And even though it's not done yet, it's totally going to happen. Right now, we're in the times of the Gentiles. God has hit pause on his plan for Israel right now. And during this pause... It's the time of the Gentiles, and that will go until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, when all the Gentiles who need to get saved, get saved. So if you're a Gentile like me, this is your time. <laughs> God's favor is on us. The Jews, it says, they have, a partial, they have a partial hardening right now. It's not impossible for them to get saved. It's just a little harder right now. This is the Gentile time. It's lasted about 2,000 years but it's eventually gonna to come to an end. When the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, God's 490 year plan snaps back into gear and God turns his attention back to Israel. And God will accomplish what he's always wanted to do with those people. Being the being who created the whole world and controls everything and knows the end from the beginning, you can rest assured God is gonna bring this to pass. The 70th week of Daniel will happen, the 490-year plan will be completed, and all Israel will be saved. We'll close down in a few minutes with a quick recap and some personal application of this chapter. Um, let me ask it, do you like fake news? If not, then you definitely don't want to check out my other podcast. It's called Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast. That's a weekly show where <laughs> I say weekly. It's Lately, it's been a little hard to be weekly, 
but I try to do one or two a month. It, we look at the recent fake news stories, and we kind of look at them through a meta narrative of how the media covered those stories. So that one is it's a lot of fun. It's it's more focused on current events. Um, if you don't like fake news, you definitely don't want to come listen to it. But if you like laughing at fake news, you can come join the fun. We have new episodes of that one typically on Fridays. Um, and if you have a question on this chapter, leave us a comment or shoot us an email. Crossreferencespodcast at gmail.com. Check the show notes if you need to see what that email is. But that's where you can send your comments or questions, do mailbag. Um, we like getting mailbags to talk about on here. And so I wouldn't be surprised if you have some questions or need follow-up to some things on this episode here. And if you do, then uh, I will try to respond to that as soon as I can. So send us an email or leave a comment on whatever platform you're listening on because I put this on, on YouTube also. So leave a comment there if you like. The next time on this show, we're going to be in Ezekiel 15. And then two episodes from now, I mean, believe it or not, it's going to be Christmas time. So I'll do a special Christmas episode for that week. Uh, got a special Christmas message for you. Today, let's just recap. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm a little afraid to recap all this. Okay, math. We did some math. It was probably really, really hard to follow if you were listening on audio only. That's that's another reason why I just held off from doing this uh, this episode for so long. Um, cause I, it's, it, I, this is one of the first things I wanted to, to talk about and it's got me to episode 50 before I finally did. So, um, I just knew it'd be a big thing to discuss. So I'm glad we did though, cause now we can use this as a stepping stone to discuss a lot of other things for the future. Um, so let's, let's close down here in a few minutes. I want to say, I really like the song, how far we've come by matchbox 20. And the lyrics to that song, they're kind of interesting from a Christian point of view. Okay, I doubt that any of the guys in Matchbox 20 are Christian, but um, the lyrics say this. The lyrics are just interesting to me. It says, I'm waking up at the start of the end of the world, but it's feeling just like any other morning before. Now I wonder what my life is going to mean if it's gone. And and when I read these lyrics from this song, when I hear this song, it, it often just reminds me of Revelation, Okay. Uh, cause the chorus says this, but I believe the world is burning to the ground. Oh, well, I guess we're going to find out. Let's see how far we've come. Let's see how far we've come. Well, I believe it all is coming to an end. Oh, well, I guess I'm going to pretend. Let's see how far we've come. Let's see how far we've come. So as I, I think of those words a lot as I'm reading Daniel nine, because what did I say? Daniel was praying and trying to see where he was on God's calendar. He wanted to see how far he had come. The Jewish captivity was going to be 70 years. They were on like year 67. So God showed him. God showed Daniel how far they had come. God showed that he has a 490-year plan for Israel and Jerusalem. God laid out what he wanted to do in that time. Some of it pertained to Jesus dying on the cross. Some of it pertains to inaugurating the millennial kingdom of Jesus. There's a division in this plan. When Jesus died on the cross, God hit pause on this plan. And at that point, 483 of the 490 years had already passed. There are seven years left. And God is saving them for later. So those seven years are the seven years of tribulation that the book of Revelation goes into great detail on. And yet, 
As much as Revelation talks about them, as many sevens as you can find in that book, you never see it mentioned that it all takes place in seven years. The seven-year thing comes from Daniel. The tribulation is Daniel's 70th week. And so I hope all that makes more sense to you now. And now we can see how far we've come. This is all so important to know because this is one of the two chapters that I would say are foundational to understanding all of Bible prophecy. Like I said before, the other one's Revelation 12. In Daniel 9, God lays out his whole timeline of the end. He lays out his great big plan, and he shows where the end times lies in his plan. I know a lot of Christians have different ideas on Bible prophecy, but that doesn't mean that we should just throw up our hands and say, okay, well, we, we, can't, we just can't know it. We'll just, we'll get there when we get there. Well, Jesus had higher expectations for us. He didn't expect us to just to give up and, and say it's too hard to figure out. He said, no, this was all told in Daniel, including a pretty specific breakdown of when Jesus would be arriving as Messiah. Jesus expected the Jews of his day to know Bible prophecy. In fact, he said since they didn't, they were going to be evicted out of their homeland again. No stone left upon another. He predicted the destruction of the Jewish temple in 70 AD. And he said it was because they rejected Jesus, because they didn't look at what day it was. And they didn't know the hour of his visitation. Now that's startling for us, because if he expected them to know Bible prophecy in such a detailed way, then how much more should we? Jesus expected them to know when he was coming the first time. And I think he expects us to know when he's coming the second time. Now maybe you're saying, wait, wait, wait. But, but Luke, no man knows the day or the hour. Well, that's correct, okay? We don't know the day or the hour. But we should be at least spiritually attuned enough to recognize the season. We should be watching for the signs that it is near and know that we're in the season. Now, maybe you're saying, well, how can I do that? I thought he was coming like a thief in the night, right? Haven't we always heard this? Jesus is going to come back like a thief in the night. Well, yes and no. Did you know that when the Bible says Jesus will return like a thief in the night, it's to the people who don't know the signs. But for us, we're supposed to see the signs and recognize when he's coming soon. 1 Thessalonians 5, starting at verse 1, Paul said, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But, notice what Paul says here, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. That's what I say to the Christians out there who are like, well, we can't know when Jesus is coming. It's just going to be, he's going to be like a thief in the night. That's, that's not what Paul said. He said, you're not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So Paul is saying that for those who are in darkness, they are the ones who are going to be caught off guard. They are the ones for whom Jesus will be like a thief in the night. They're the ones in that Matchbox 20 song. 
They say I'm waking up at the start of the end of the world, but it's feeling just like any other morning before. They won't see the signs because they're in darkness. But for those of us who live in the light, we will be ready. We'll be braced. We'll be prepared. So that when Daniel's 70th week kicks off, we won't even be here. We'll be watching from a seat up in heaven. And for any of us who are still struggling with algebra now, it's all going to be a lot clearer once we're up there. Thanks for listening to the Cross References Podcast. This has been Luke Taylor. And I just want to say thanks for being here, whether it was your first episode or whether you've been here for all 50. Oh, 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 o